We are looking at Matthew 6. Uh, we'll slowly and deliberately take each aspect of the prayer over the next couple of months. And whether you've never prayed before, or you might think you're not very good at prayer. I was really uh, shocked to hear my 80-year-old grandma say that. I'm not very good at prayer. And I'm like, you've been a Christian for longer than I've been alive. Or maybe you're even someone who just loves to pray. Hopefully, wherever you're at, this series will help you to grow in your prayer relationship with the Father. And today, uh, we're actually not going to be looking at Matthew, as you heard in the reading from uh, Luke, but we'll be looking at why we even pray before we get into the prayer itself next week. And with that in mind, why don't you join with me in prayer before we get into the sermon? Father, you say in your word in Psalm 25, who is this person who fears the Lord? He will show him the way he should choose. He will live a good life and his descendants will inherit the land. The secret counsel of the Lord is for those who fear him and he reveals his covenant to them. My eyes are always on the Lord for he will pull my feet out of the net. Lord, we meditate on those words and we think about how you love to instruct us. You love to be near to us. Even as we cry out in our songs, be near to us. You have already drawn near to us. We need only look up. So we ask, Lord, that you would help us to lift our eyes from ourselves, that you would help us, Lord, to lock eyes with our Savior Thank you, Lord, that you sent your son, that we might actually share in this relationship with you, that we might enjoy the privilege of being called your son, your daughter, and that we can call you father. We pray, Lord, that you would help us by teaching us how to pray, how to commune with you, how to be near to you. Open up our ears that we might be able to hear today. Open up our eyes that we might be able to see you in fresh light and open up our hearts that we might receive the word that you have for us today. Be with us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. How did you learn how to pray? How did you learn how to pray? Think about this for a moment. We all pray in a certain way, whether it's the words that we speak or the way that we hold our hands. There's something about the way that you pray that's very particular to who you are. So how did you actually learn to pray the way that you pray today? Some of you might not know about this, um, but we start Sunday service at 10 a.m. Well, I mean, you guys all know that, but if you come a little bit earlier, we have something called pre-service prayer, which uh, our presider, John, took us through this morning. Usually our presider takes us through a few prayer points together. And it's a really great way for us to come together in unity, to pray to our Father, to prepare yourself for service. 9.50 a.m., 10 minutes before service. Now, I know in the past, if you've been with us for a few months, I've also said, hey, come early so I can get to meet you and so that you can share in this community and this fellowship and I can at least learn your name or relearn your name. Which is the better thing to do in your mind? On one hand, 
Prayer is vitally important, and I just spent the first 10 minutes of this sermon talking about this. You know intrinsically Christians are supposed to pray. Even non-Christians know this. Sometimes they'll even ask you to pray for them, even if they don't believe. I don't know why. You also saw what the sermon series is called, so you're probably leaning this way. I should come early to pray. On the other hand, community and fellowship are also important parts of the Christian life. And so they tend to also feel a little more fun for us unless we're really invested in prayer, right? And you also tend to feel like I've accomplished something, I've done something at the end of speaking to someone. Whereas if you pray, you don't necessarily always feel that way. You might feel like, okay, I've prayed out these words, but I don't necessarily see the fruit of what I just did. So which is the better thing to do in your mind if I say, come a little bit early, pray or build community? And of course, the answer is to come even earlier and do both. <laughs> it's too much to ask, right? In either case, the importance is in doing things together, in community, in God, so that we can find that we learn and grow together. And we can actually do things on our own too. What do I mean by that? When praying at church together, we pray together in God, we grow in our knowledge and our understanding of prayer, and this actually changes the way that we pray when we're on our own. When we build fellowship as well, we do it together in God so that we can become more community-minded people and we can continue to build fellowship with people wherever we go. It changes who we are inside and then it actually affects what we do outside the way that you pray has been affected by your church some of you guys know that i like looking at birds you know i don't know why um it's a strange quirk that i have if you follow me on instagram you'll know i just posted something about birds now i noticed after moving interstate i hope none of you guys are too fearful of birds okay after moving interstate a few times I thought, this is strange because ravens, I noticed, sound different in different regions. They have different accents. And we'll play a couple of clips of these ravens, okay? So if you are afraid, just close your eyes and your ears and pretend you know what I'm talking about, okay? So can we just play those two clips? It's almost like a kid. It does sound like a cat. No one notices accents, do they? They think I'm crazy. You think I'm crazy? No. All right. Honestly, they do sound different if you listen very closely. I'm tone deaf for music, but I can hear birds, all right? So we have this too. We humans have this too. And that's obvious with things like people from different regions, okay? Like you know that people from the deep south of the US, they sound a little bit different to people from metropolitan Sydney. I sound different from most people in this room as well, right? But there are a few more subtle things that can happen too where as you spend a little bit more time in community, 
with one another, the more that you pick up from those in your community. Have you ever been around someone where they speak with an accent, and after talking with them for a little while, you don't realize it, but you start talking with an accent as well. And I often wonder, are they making fun of me? Or are they genuinely just, I guess, vibing with the way that I talk? When we pray together, we disciple each other in prayer. Do you realize this? It's so good to come together and pray together because we end up discipling each other in prayer. And thus, it's important that we learn to pray together so that we can grow together and be guided in our individual prayers. It's so vitally important that you learn how to pray with other people coming together, which will feed your individual prayer life. I love the way that New Life prays. I love it. I've seen it from a distance when I was down in Melbourne, and I was like, oh, this is so good. And I came and I saw it in person as well. I love the way that our presiders use scripture as they pray. It's so beautiful. I love the way that we yearn to pray together, and so many people were asking for Friday night prayer to come back. And I love the way that we recognize our need for God in prayer. And the more that we pray together here at New Life, the more you'll find your own prayers shaped in this way as well. When you hear other people using scripture when they pray, perhaps you'll think, I want that as well and then you will start doing it too. Now, having said this, sometimes we pick up on bad habits from one another as well. If, for instance, there was a severe lack of prayer in our Sunday services, if we didn't have PSP, pre-service prayer, or if we didn't have Friday night prayer, then quite naturally, the culture of prayer within our church would decline, would nosedive, right? That would be a very obvious trend. But what about if things started getting kind of busy at church, and so prayer gets pushed away in the agenda, or it just gets forgotten little by little? So think about this hypothetical situation, okay? This might be hard to imagine, but think about this. What would happen if for some reason people started just pouring in all throughout the service, like our Sunday service, like dozens, hundreds of people, and they're all clamoring, just looking for community, asking you, like, talk to me. You know, I want to know about Jesus. Looking to find out more about this guy, Jesus. Wanting to sing more praise songs. And they're grabbing hold of our MDs. They're grabbing hold of Jackie and saying, we need more songs about Jesus. They want to hear more of the Bible being preached every Sunday. What would happen? I'll tell you, the temptation would be, for me anyway, you know, maybe the other MDs are a little bit more holy than I am, but the temptation would be try and meet those needs fully. These people are all coming. They want to know about God. Oh, man, we got to give them what they want. As people cry out for more, we desire to provide more. And so perhaps we'd cut away at other things within the service that people aren't asking for. We'd start, I'd start pushing the praise team. Let's do four songs. No, let's do five songs. Let's do six songs, and more and more, the praise team looks already afraid. I'm not asking you to do this. This is a hypothetical situation. I would want to preach longer, and something has to give along the way, and quite often within churches, for some reason, 
Prayer is the first thing to make way. Very hypothetical situation might not happen here at New Life, but it's something that does happen to Jesus in our passage today. Look with me at Luke chapter 5. While he was in one of the towns, a man was there who had leprosy all over him. He saw Jesus, fell face down, and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Reaching out his hand, Jesus touched him, saying, I am willing, be made clean. And immediately, the leprosy left him. Then he ordered him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer what Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. But the news about him spread even more, and large crowds would come together to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. So Jesus heals a man with leprosy, and as you can expect, word spreads. Like, just imagine this scenario in your head. This man had a disease that made him ceremonially unclean, which meant that he couldn't participate with his community around him. Imagine that you have some, something which makes you unable to come to church and be a part of the proceedings. And we don't even have to imagine. We can just say you got a COVID test and you can't come. But imagine that that stays with you for your life. There's no cure. You cannot be part of church from that point onwards. And yet, here was this new teacher that has come along who seemed not only willing to come close to this person, to grab hold of him, big no-no, but he seemed able to make him clean as well so that he can participate once again with the community around him. So naturally, crowds start forming. More and more people are drawn by their curiosity. Like, is this for real? I know this guy. This has to be for real, right? And then, also their needs. I need this. I haven't been able to participate in in community for so long. And they start coming. In Mark, which we haven't read today, it tells us that it gets to the point that Jesus can't even enter towns openly because there are just so many people gathering. It's to the point that the crowds are just crushing against each other. They want this guy, Jesus, to come and heal him. So what does Jesus do? Luke 5.16 tells us, yet he often withdrew to deserted places and prayed. He withdraws to deserted places and prays. Though there are people there who Jesus can add to his number of disciples with a word, with a touch, he goes away and he prays. Why? His time with God is of supreme importance because true, effective ministry can't happen without time spent with God the Father. It's the Father's will that guides him. It's the Father who directs where ministry is going to lead to the kingdom's growth. It's not the people that determine this. It's not their need that determines this, but the Father who knows all, who sees all, can look at these people who are in need and say, 
Yes, they are in need, but they will not add to the kingdom. And so this is where you need to go. And praying like this was a regular practice for Jesus. As you can see, it says he often withdrew to deserted places and prayed. And his disciples who were following him all this time must have seen him doing this again and again. He's constantly just going away from the crowds and praying. What is he doing? Don't we want to amass an army? Don't we want to get all these followers? But instead, he continues to withdraw. Luke 11.1 1 tells us, he was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John also taught his disciples. Did you know that there's only one thing that the disciples are recorded to have asked Jesus to teach them? Really bizarre, right? Like you are going through life with Jesus. These disciples are witnessing him constantly. They see him healing people with various diseases. You heard one in the PSP as well. Like John talked about this woman with the bleeding problem. She's bleeding all of her life. She touches Jesus and she gets healed. Why not ask him to teach that part? They saw him casting out spirit, but the one thing they asked Jesus to teach them is how to pray. Whatever they saw him doing, it seems that they saw Jesus' prayer life as a thing that empowered his healing, his exorcisms, his love. I'm sure if we were in their shoes, if I was in their shoes, this would push me to want to learn how to pray from Jesus too. I'd be like, Jesus, you gotta teach me how to pray so I can do all this other stuff, right? But the motivation for prayer seems so fundamentally different for Jesus. It's so different. It's not so that he can go and do all this other stuff, which is great, which is important as well. Where the disciples might see it as a means to do, Jesus sees it as a means to be. This is who Jesus is. He withdraws from those around him in order to pray because his relationship with his Father is of utmost importance, not because it powers his ministry. Now, if you've been around Christianity for a little while, you might have heard this phrase before, a relationship with God. A lot of Christians talk about this. A lot of us talk about this. You need to start your relationship with God. I need to grow in my relationship with God. What does a relationship with the Father consist of? Can you picture it in your minds? What is a relationship with the Father? If you're having trouble, try to transpose your relationship with God onto a relationship with someone that you can see, whoever you're closest with here on earth. Might be your spouse, might be your best friend, might be your mom or dad, whatever it might be, and try to figure out if this relationship was in place here on earth, would this make for a satisfactory relationship for both of us? Does this relationship make sense here on earth? Here's where I see a lot of my relationship playing out with the Father. Now, unfortunately, it tends to be a lot of doing things for someone. It tends to be a lot of serving him, learning about him, studying him, 
And these are all good things. Don't get me wrong. These are all very important things, and I commend you if these are the things that form your relationship. But you know they don't necessarily constitute a strong relationship, right? Let me give you a solid example. So the person closest to me is my wife, Bora, here on earth, right? Makes sense. And yes, some of those aspects are there. We serve each other. We do things for each other. We cook for each other, wash dishes, we do laundry, all the normal stuff, right? All the normal, boring chore stuff. Is that a good template for a relationship, though? Like, some of you guys are, you know, deep into two-year, three-year relationships. You're thinking about getting married. If you came to me for advice and I said, man, you got to cook for each other. Vacuum once in a while. Do the dishes. Now go. <laughs> but you'd be like, thank you. Everything's worked out. We are good. No. What gives my relationship with my wife the most richness besides for our mutual love for Jesus? Placing that aside for a moment, it's when we talk together. It's when we laugh together. It's when we cry with each other. It's when we live. We go through life together. Most of that centers around our communication with each other. If we weren't talking, our relationship wouldn't make sense. And when we talk about a relationship with God, this is what it entails. What Jesus did all the time came out of his prayer life with God. He only did what he saw the Father doing, Scripture tells us. And we have to relate to the Father the way that Jesus does. We must be able to relate to the Father the way that Jesus does. So to us, when we hear the phrase, teach us to pray, what we should also hear is, teach us, Jesus, who the Father is to you and who we are to him. Because you've clearly got that down. You know who the Father is and you know who you are in relation to the Father. So teach us as well to relate in that way. And this is why when Jesus teaches the prayer to his disciples and to us, it focuses on expressing absolute dependence on God our Father. Complete dependence. It talks to God about cultivating this inner desire for holiness. It talks about wanting for God's rule to be here on earth like it is in reality, like it is in heaven, here in our hearts as well. And the prayer expresses a desire for a life filled with forgiveness. And it confesses that all provision, all protection comes from God. It's a complete realignment of the way that we think about God and the way we talk to him. Along with that, though, we also need a complete realignment of the way that we think of ourselves. Sometimes we see prayer and ourselves in this way, okay? So who here has a mobile phone right now? Yeah, you can raise your hands, yep. Like pretty much all of you guys, right? Who has my phone number? Some of you guys do, yeah? Hey, you have my phone number. <laughs> um, let's say 
that you're calling me in the middle of the service right now. Okay, John? Like, let's say that you're calling me so that you can learn about how I used to see prayer. If you were doing this, you just want to know. We're in the same room right now. You just want to know how is it that I used to see prayer. And you call me, and I'm not picking up. I'm holding a mic instead. My phone's somewhere over there on airplane mode. But we sometimes think of prayer in this way, like picking up a phone and calling God. I used to think that it was really awesome to be a Christian because we get a direct line with God. Pick up the phone, click one, and there's God. But this fills our heads with all sorts of other ideas just because of the nature of phones themselves, right? Like, what if he doesn't pick up? We wonder this sometimes. What if he doesn't answer our prayer, right? Maybe he's busy right now, and I'm bothering him. What if I have the wrong number? He gave me the wrong number this whole time because he just wanted to ghost me. <laughs> and we miss the reality. I'm in the same room with the caller. Why can't he just come up and ask me? We're mistaken. God doesn't need a phone. But even greater news is that if you're a follower of Christ, then the relationship that you enjoy with God means you don't need a phone. Not just God. You don't need a phone. Even better than us being in the same room, John and me being in the same room, so he can just call out to me and ask, hey, what do you mean by this? No, you are the temple of God, and the Spirit of God dwells inside of you. And you can approach the throne of grace with boldness because a king that sits on that throne is your father. So God's ever-presence, his indwelling, our constant relationship and dialogue with our Father. These are not only taught by Jesus, these are also enabled by him as well. So in coming from heaven to earth, Jesus is the ultimate expression of the prayer. Have you thought about this? He is the ultimate expression of honoring God's name as holy. He's the manifest presence of your kingdom come your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. He's the providence of the true bread of life for us daily. He's the one who's a forgiveness for our sins and who enables us to forgive those who sin against us. And he's the one who stands in the time of testing in our place, delivering us from the clutches of the evil one. He is the prayer manifest here on this earth. And doing all this, he takes our place on the cross, becomes our substitute so that we can stand in his place and be able to address God, Father. Now, the Aramaic word that gets originally used by Jesus here, translated as Father in our modern-day Bibles, is Abba, which is this expression that combines Simultaneously, the Father's authority, respect for that Father's authority with a deep sense of intimacy. I tried really hard, but I couldn't think of a modern-day good English equivalent, unfortunately. 
And just as Jesus calls God the Father, Abba, we also can feel this close to God as well as part of his family. So we can express the deepest respect for his authority, but we can also, ex we can also express our intimacy with the Father. Now I'm saying all this, but I know today for many of us here at New Life and beyond New Life as well in this world, that word father has a lot of baggage. I know this. It's gonna take a lot for you throughout the rest of your life to look upon God and not see your earthly father. It's hard because we call him father and we automatically call to mind the image of our earthly father. But I hope over the next couple of months that you'll be able to pray and you'll have other people here praying with you in community that you'll be able to see God for who he truly is. Not just a shadow of your earthly father. What we know about him, what we know about God, what we continue to discover about this father's love and character and promises, it causes us to continue to pray even when we feel like he might not be answering because we know what his character is. And we'll get more into this part of the prayer next week. But for today, let our time together here be an introduction to prayer all over again. So as Jesus teaches us to pray, he is actively changing and newly creating the way that we understand God, ourselves, and also the world around us. So the prayer that he teaches us is gonna serve as a model to help us to have real conversations with the Father, genuine, real conversations with him as we have his heart revealed to us. And we're gonna see together how his heart for, is for his name to be honored as holy, for the coming of his kingdom, for the fulfilling of his good pleasure here on earth, and for the daily providence that we need so that we can live this kingdom lifestyle, for the canceling of debts and reconciling us to him, and for protecting us from the attacks of the evil one. This is his heart for us. And when we pray, we enter into the privilege of partnering with the Father in carrying out his desires and his plans for this world. So over the course of this series, teach us to pray. I really encourage you to pray the prayer as you find it in Matthew 6, 9 to 13. It's gonna be on screen as well right now, but you'll find it in your Bibles, Matthew 6, 9 to 13. I'll just read it for us and you can take it as a prayer. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. As you pray, you'll start to notice things like how the first half is all about God's agenda. And as you pray in this way, beginning with him first, it's gonna help you in making your needs seem a little bit less urgent as they're put into the right perspective, as you're putting them into his perspective. And the more we pray, the more we will discover 
that God is already addressing our greatest needs. Now, each week, we're going to break up the prayer into smaller parts for easy digestion. And I encourage you in those times to pray these parts in your own words as you're about to hear me demonstrate. Okay, so I'll pray the whole prayer for you in my own words. I encourage you to do the same as well. Let me pray. Our Father in heaven, when we think about who you are, Father, you are greater than the sum of all the fathers here on earth, lovely and unlovely. But you are perfect in your love for us. We ask, Lord, that your name be made holy here on this earth, honored as holy as it is in heaven. We know quite often that your name is disparaged, that we who carry your name don't bring honor to it, but sometimes we bring shame to it instead by the way that we conduct ourselves. And we ask instead that it will be honored in our lives. We ask, Lord, that your kingdom would come here on this earth as it, in, as it is in heaven as well. Because there's so many instances here on this earth where we see other things reigning in our hearts. But we want people to be added to the kingdom as well, that they might recognize you as king. We desire for your will to be done here on this earth as it is in heaven as well. We know, Lord, that whatever we ask, your will for us is greater because you know more than us and you love us more than we even love ourselves. And so you have the best in mind for us and we want that to be carried out, not just what we ask. We ask, Lord, that you would give us this day our daily bread, what we need to live. You don't need to give us more because that might make us greedy. And you don't need to give us less because that might tempt us to steal. But Lord, we ask that you would give us exactly what we need today. We ask, Lord, that you would make us a forgiving people as well, God. We can only do that we can only have that if you forgive us first. And Lord, you've done it. We think back to the Easter message, the fact that Jesus came and died and rose again for the sake of our sins, that we might be reconciled to you. Who were we but undeserving? And when we look at our people around us, how can we not also extend that forgiveness as well? We ask, Lord, that you would help us to live lives of forgiveness. And Lord, don't allow us to go into times of testing because you know how weak we are. We give into temptation all of our days. 
and we are prone to wander and we feel it in our hearts that we ask, Lord, that if by chance we are to find ourselves in that place, that you deliver us from the clutches of the evil one who seeks to destroy us. And in fact, you already have in your son, Jesus, who stood in our place. For that, we give you thanks. We give you all glory and honor, and we want to love you the way that you love us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.